Everybody good today? Okay. All right. I had a rough night. I, I, something jumped on me. I got most of it off. But uh, I slept for hours. But I woke up at 5.30 and had a great time with the Lord this morning. What I want to do is I want to talk about life-changing Christmas story observations. And I went through the whole episode of the birth of Jesus and just pulled out different uh, passages that uh, mean a lot to me. And let's, let's, let's start it by reading uh, this Luke verse together. Why don't you just stand up? That'd be good. There's nothing more amazing than the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus. Just, just so, it's so supernatural. Honestly, parts of it is very hard to believe. But uh, I like that. I like the mystery. If you're not happy with mystery, you're going to have trouble being a Christian. Because it really is a sig- not, not just a small part. It's a significant part of your faith. I mean, you just cannot read the New Testament and and not not begin to see dreams, visions, healing, miracles, uh, supernatural courage, all this sort of thing. So, I just did what I don't like preachers doing. I got you to stand up, and start preaching at you. I don't like that, but I apologize. Please forgive me. Now, they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Okie doke, you can, you can have a seat. I really, I really like that phrase, there's born to you. Let's, let's read that last part again and think through this. Not just there's born, but there's born to you. Let's say that. There's born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You know, when you read that verse, um, and then you look at, um, I believe it's Matthew chapter 1, where the wise men say, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? It struck me even during worship, those two phrases, been born king of the Jews and been born unto you. And what it means is Jesus is everyone's king. That's really what that means. Jesus is everyone's king. And the day will come where um, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus is Lord. But as I understand it, it's not going to be because you have a throat to your neck. It's because you're going to see him as he is, and that's all you can do is to, is to, is to proclaim him Lord. Well, one of the wonderful things this Lord does, who's born unto us, is that he just does things in our lives. And I had, uh, I have Shelly Tackett with the testimony. I wanted to ask her to come give this testimony. It's so important to remember what God does for people. So let's give it up for Shelly Tackett. I didn't think I was going to go. 
come do it. Hey guys, um, a lot of you know this testimony, but there's a lot of you that don't. And so Robin asked me to tell it because it's a, it's a really good story. So um, I went to, um, hold on, let me catch my breath. <laughs> it, well, no, yeah, and then you called me up here and I was like, <gasps> um, uh, so I went to art school and accrued a large amount of student loans. Does anybody have a student loan? You don't have to raise your hand. <clears throat> a lot of people have student loans. My student loans um, were a lot of money. They were in the three... Yeah, they were in the six figures. <laughs> there were three figures. No, there were six figures. And um, anyways, I graduated. Um, and the cool thing about uh, going to school was I was 26, so I'd already done school and already had a career before that. And um, I just felt like... I, I was going to take a risk and do something um, that I would really enjoy doing. So I went to art school. And when I got to art school, three months in, I felt like it was exactly where I was supposed to be. It was like I was created to do what I was doing. And I never in my life in 26 years ever felt like I was created to, to do anything. So, um, and at the time, I had very, very little debt. And I was actually anti-debt. And so to get into that much debt. I was very apprehensive. But I had this um, intuition that I was going to be able to pay it all off, all off at one time. And I felt like it was going to be because there's, I sold a house or something. That was my intuition. Okay, whatever. Fast forward, I graduate from college. I made very good grades. I was an excellent student, which I was a good... Um, steward of that hundred and almost $50,000. And um, when I got done, I worked two jobs. I got a job in my field and then I, I was bartending on also on the side for Jesus. I was bartending for Jesus. <laughs> well, when you're good at it, you're good at it. <laughs> Ooh, nice. Good crowd. Y'all are a good crowd. So anyways, I was bartending for Jesus. But no, honestly, my life had really started to change. So every time I would go in to bartend, it felt like I had to like turn off the light to go into the dark. Or like my light was diminished by going into the dark. And I'm not saying that everybody who bartends is going into the dark, but that's how I felt. But um, I had been working at this. I had been bartending um, in this restaurant for um, six years. And over the course of six years... I um, had regular customers, and there was this elderly couple. And um, don't overlook elderly uh, elderly people. Do not over. And I'm not saying that to be funny. I'm being serious, <laughs> because elderly people are amazing people. Okay, they are amazing, and if you actually get to know them, they are amazing. And so, anyways, this couple um, became my regular over the course of my seven years of working at this place, and. Um, and they just befriended me, and they only had one adult son, and he was married, and they had no grandchildren, no prospect of having grandchildren, one son and a daughter-in-law. So they adopted me as their grandchild, and they treated me like a grandchild. They sent me cards. They took me out for my birthday to dinner. They would take me out for um, Easter dinner, you know, and I live alone in Charlotte. I have no family here, so they were really like family to me. 
And um, so um, fast forward. So I had to give a little backstory. So now we're to the to the real story. I had been I had already been graduated from school for about two years, and you know you don't have to pay your student loans until you finish school. So once you finish school, it's like, okay, I didn't realize how terrible this was going to be. And so, um, $150,000 is more is more than my mortgage. I have a mortgage now, thank you, Jesus, and it's it that is more than my mortgage payment. So. I was living my life and working two jobs, and I felt like the Lord was like, Shelly, you re- really need to quit quit your second job. And I was like, <laughs> that's real cute, but I don't want to go bankrupt. You know, I need to pay my bills. And he just was like, you really should quit your job. It's just not, it's just not, it's just not what's best for you. Okay. So I quit my job. That was in September. In October, I remember um, Robin speaking about, um, casting your cares on the Lord, like casting, casting is like throw, like casting a net. It's like throwing it off of yourself, like throwing it onto God. So, I mean, obviously $150,000 worth of debt is a heavy burden that I needed to cast onto God. And he said, cast it on, cast your cares on the Lord and then later on, when you feel that anxiety of like wanting to take it back and be like, oh, I need to worry about this. I really need to figure this out. I really need to figure out how to get the goose out of the bottle, right? <laughs> but not knowing how to do that, right? And then he said, so whenever you feel that anxiety or feel that worry or feel that pressure to take that, that thing back, thank the Lord for taking it. Like say, thank you that you're handling this. I don't have to handle it. It's yours, you know? Just like, whew, I feel good. It's yours to deal with, not mine, right? So um, that was in October, and I were, I'm a graphic designer, so I had a full-time job, plus I was doing you know, side jobs, and the side jobs were coming in pretty heavily at that time, and I was like, oh, God, this is how you're going to provide for me. You're giving me all these side jobs. It's awesome. If I can get these side jobs, I can pay my, pay my debt, right? Well, then October, November, December goes by, and in January, not one job, not one job. By the, by the end of that month, I was like, I'm dying, God, please. I need a dollar. You know, how am I going to pay my student loan payments, right? So bring them back to the elderly couple. They had two homes. One home was in Charlotte. One home is on Lake Norman. Their home in Charlotte was her parents' home that when they died, her and her husband moved into this home. So it had very sentimental value to her. It's in five acres in South Park, which if you know anything about property, that's cha-ching, 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 lots of dollar signs. But they had lots of developers approach them over the years, and they were like, no way, we're not selling this house. And if we do sell this house, it has a lot of stipulations, like, and that's why it never got sold. Well, and then it had to be rezoned. It was like such a lot of, of red tape, right, when they finally decided to sell. And so the end of January, it was their, uh, they called me, it was the very end of January, they called me and they said, you know, it's our last night in the house, and let's all go out to dinner to celebrate. And so we all went out, we, me and them went out to dinner, and we came back to their house, and they were like, oh, Shell, 
come inside and let's have a nightcap. And I was like, usually a lot of times I'm like, y'all, it's late. I got to go, you know? But this night, because it was the last night in the house, I just was like, okay, I'll come in. So we went in and we went and sat in their den. He sat in her, he sat in his chair. She sat, she sat in her chair. I sat on the couch and he says, Hey, Shell, you know, if you ever needed any money, you could just ask us. And I was like, like lump in my throat, like, okay, here we go. And he said, he said, um, he said, like, for instance, if you need, he just started throwing out figures to me and they weren't three, they weren't three digits. <laughs> and, um, and he, and I'm just like, I don't know, like shock and awe and like about to like burst out into tears, all those emotions. And he goes, like, how much are your student loans? And I said, at the time, I didn't know how much the student loans, like the total number was. I knew that it was at least $100,000. And I said to him, I, you know, I don't really know. I know they're at least $100,000. And he said, will you just tell me who to write the check to? And he wrote the check. And my debt was paid. All of my debt was paid. Every single penny of it was paid. From selling a house. Hello. Yep, I'm debt free. Well, I'm not completely debt free. I have a mortgage now because I actually can afford a mortgage and I never thought I could. And the best part is, then I started to cry because I was just like, uh, you know, who has ever paid your debt like that besides Jesus, you know? And so he comes over to me and I'm crying. He comes over to me. I'm sitting on the couch. He stands, he's standing in front of me and holds my face like a sweet grandpa would and says, Shell, because he calls me Shell, which is so cute. Shell, we love you. You are our family. We want to take this burden off of you and we want you to have a great life. So. Wow. How many of you would like to learn how to cast your care? Yeah, yeah. What if we actually worried ourselves out of our answers? Yeah, what if we worried? How many of you have debts you would like to get paid? Why don't I just stand up? Let's just pray and let's cast those debts on the Lord. Who knows? I don't think I'll stand up. Lord, we do. We just, uh, we take a look at our bank books. We take a look at what we owe, the spreadsheet, whatever it is. We look at the red part and we cast all of that on you because you care for us. And Lord, we don't just cast it. We acknowledge by our confession. You now have it. And we're so thankful you're willing to take it. Lord, I see the language there actually means cast your care once for all. One time, all of it, once for all. And we refuse to take it back. When the feelings come, we resist them steadfastly by the power of thanksgiving for what you've done and what you're doing for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
I don't know how much of this I'm going to get into now, but that was so powerful we needed to. Actually, I forgot to ask her to come up, and I realized it and transitioned right into her testimony from what I was saying. That's pretty slick, wasn't it? Yeah, I felt pretty stupid. I had it on a piece of paper and didn't read it. And I, you know, next. You guys understand what kind of church you're going to? You should be a little nervous. (laughs) But my wife, brains of the outfit, keeps me on track. Now, when I read about the birth of Jesus and all the amazing stories, I have like... One line, message after message after message, and all of them really are encouraging. Uh, for instance, the birth of John the Baptist. If you remember, his father, uh, Zechariah, and John the Baptist's mother, Elizabeth, were barren. And according to some of the things I read recently, if a Jewish priest had a barren wife, it was grounds for divorce. And so what it shows, it shows uh, Zechariah's devotion for Elizabeth. And if you remember, um, an angel appeared to him. First of all, he was in the temple. There were 20,000 priests in Israel. You may only get one shot, one time your entire life, and you might not even get it ministering at the altar of incense. And so when he was at the altar of incense, and you can read this in Luke chapter 1, an angel appears to him. Now, one of the things we need to realize is when the angel appeared to him and promised him a son, that was a strategic birth because the son was John the Baptist, and John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus the Messiah. And so it was a very strategic opportunity for for Zacharias. And here's one of the points I want to want you to know. God knows how to get you where you need to be to fulfill your destiny. He really does. He is the master of the right place, right time, right understanding. I read the other day um this guy wrote this verse about seek me while you may be found and then he asked this question, will you find him if you don't seek him? which implies you won't. The only trouble is there's another verse in Isaiah 25, I was found by those who did not seek me. Now, what I'm talking about here is the goodness of God. You could have messed everything up. Now, what you can't count on is intentionally messing things up and expecting everything to turn out all right because you can't really trespass on the grace of God. But even people that do that, sometimes amazing things happen to them. But, But the point is, We need to trust God, right place, right time, right understanding, like Zechariah. So when this angel appears to him, he says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And I've mentioned this before, but it really is worth repeating. Your prayers oftentimes have a longer shelf life in heaven than your faith. You want me to repeat that? Yeah. Your prayers can have a longer shelf life before the throne than your faith. Because one of the commentators actually translates that verse for your prayer is heard as for the prayer you no longer pray has been heard. That prayer you gave up on. 
See, there are people sitting in this room, you've given up on things. And you need, you need to stop that. It'll just get you in trouble. You know, when you give up on God, you, you misbehave. I was actually thinking about people that say they're atheist. Um, one of the things I think happens with certain people is they choose to be atheist because they think that no longer obligates them to live in accordance with moral law. Well, you know, just, you know, so you don't believe in God, therefore he doesn't exist is not a very good concept. But um, your prayers have a longer shelf life than your faith. Okay, if we look um, further in Luke, we need to know this. What we believe and what we say can have major implications. Um, the Bible says, with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Do you believe people need to be saved? I certainly do. Do I believe everybody's going to be saved? I do not. I do not. I think there needs to come a real fear of God in our lives if you don't know Jesus. Um, I was struck by the fact of how easy it is to get run over in traffic. And what I mean by that is you have no guarantee you're going to be here the rest, even the rest of today. I think about um, uh, Amy's dad, godly man, passed away. Nobody expected it. You need to take that into account. You can't avoid that. One of the things, um, I had a young lady come to me, and her mom was close to 80, and she passed away, and she was absolutely distraught. And it never dawned on her that people die. Now, I'm not, I'm not Mr. Gloom and Doom, but I, I'm, I'm telling you, it really does happen to everybody. It can't be avoided. Now, the thing is, are you, are you going to die prematurely? That's, that's who I believe Jesus will raise, raise from the dead oftentimes. And we've seen examples of that with Heidi Baker and a number of different people I know who've seen God raise people from the dead. Um, but what, what we believe and what we say really can have major implications. If you look at the story of Zechariah, we see that principle. Zechariah says to the angel, now there are, as far as I understand, three major angels, three top-level angels. Gabriel, what's that other guy's name? Michael, and then I think Lucifer was actually one of them. So one of the three primary angels fell and, and did terrible, terrible damage. Now, those angels from the Scripture abide in the presence of God. Now, we, we don't understand the presence of God the way it needs to be understood. If the presence of God came at full force, none of us could stand. None of us could endure that level of spiritual glory. So that angel appears to Zacharias and says, the prayer you no longer pray, you're going to have a son. And then he prophesies to him uh, his son's future, which will be to usher in, in the Messiah. And um, Gabriel says, uh, how can I believe that? And the angel basically gives his credentials. Well, <laughs> 
He said, I live in the presence of God. That was good enough for the angel to, to, and he said, but because you didn't believe, you're not going to be able to speak until the day these things take place. Now, people, the Bible is a tricky book. If you are negative and critical, you will find negative and critical things in it. But if you're redemptive and positive, you will see in those same contexts other things. So you could think, wow, did Zacharias ever get punished to be mute for nine months? But I believe the Lord, the angel did it to keep Zacharias from expressing unbelief about the promise. You can talk away your blessing. The power of agreement is major. The power of agreement is a major force. What you proclaim, what you believe, and what you proclaim actually has eternal consequence. Um, what we believe, what we say can have major implications. It sure did in the life of Zechariah. Now, we also find in that story where when uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth's son was born, uh, there was conflict over his name. They wanted to name him after his father. Now, Zechariah couldn't tell him what to name him because he couldn't talk. So what he did was, when the argument was going on, he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John, because that's what Elizabeth wanted to name him, and immediately he could talk again. What's the point? You're, you're going to need to fight for your identity. Knowing who you are is not automatic. They're going to be, and I hate to say this, but it really is true, they're going to be parents that have no idea who you are. That's just a fact of life. Uh, to my mom, I was a dentist or a lawyer. Not an itinerant evangelist who shamed the entire Galloway clan. I'm going to tell you something. I paid for what I got. Now, I don't mean I paid for my salvation, but I paid for some of the stuff I walk in, ladies and gentlemen. There is a price to what you gain in God. There really, there really is. You're ashamed to tell people you're a believer. That's working against you, not for you. And the power of your faith is directly connected to your faith to proclaim your beliefs. Nobody changes until their belief structure changes. If you're praying for your wife, your husband, your mother, your dad, or your kids to change, they won't change until they change how they view life, what they believe about God. That's what needs to happen for a life to change because we are the sum total of our belief structure. If you believe the world's a terrible place, you're going to be a hopeless person. If you believe the gospel is the hope of the world, if you believe Jesus uh, is resurrected from the dead, you don't consult CNN about whether or not to be happy or sad today. You don't consult the media. You, you're better. Listen, I saw Denzel Washington, I love this guy. He said, if you don't read the paper, you're going, you're not going to be informed. But if you read the paper, you're going to be misinformed. And then he rebuked the media people interviewing him. I thought, come on, Denzel, with your bad self. <laughs> really? You know what I'm saying?
But you're going to need to fight for your identity. You can't fight for something that you don't understand. Are you with me? You need to hang out with people that agree with who you are and where you're going unless you're fa- as believers unless your faith is so strong you're affecting them they're not affecting you this whole idea about hey I'm a Christian let's go drink and carouse if you're getting drunk instead of bringing people into the kingdom you need to you need to change your mind about what you're doing you're deceived that's a delusion may I be that plain you can't live that way. Oh my, I know this is, you, there is a time and a place where you make a choice. And it doesn't just happen only once. God will, not always, maybe not even a lot. I remember I went to, I went to jury duty. I've told this story before. And it took some faith for me to, to do what the Lord said. In jury duty, York County, they interview everybody with uh, judges and lawyers there to see if they want you on their on their jury. And so you stand up and you tell them your full name, you tell them your marital status, um, you tell them your occupation. And uh, and the guy said, and if you're living with someone, York County considers you married. You have to say. Guy left that day and said, that gum came to jury duty, found out I was married. So when I stood up, I was going to say, you know, Robert McMillan, I have four children, I'm married, I'm a pastor. And the Lord said, tell them you're a healing evangelist. (laughs) Tell them you're a healing evangelist. I thought a leper would make more friends in this place than me if I said that. But I thought, what difference does it make? I mean, if you really think about it, most of the people that we're concerned about, we don't know. And I didn't come up with that idea, and I thought, I think this is going to be pretty awesome. So I did. I said, I'm a healing evangelist. There are 125 people. One, only one person spoke to me, and he already knew me. Nobody else would talk to me. And I didn't get on jury duty. Because God is smart. And if we don't care how we look, he will get us in amazing places and give us great benefits. That's a good word. Tweet. Get your phones out. Get to tweeting that. You don't have to. You need to fight for your identity. You don't need to be ashamed of who God's called you to be. You do need to be wise. There's some believers that wreck every relationship they have because they Jesus people to death, and they don't live well enough to be able to do that. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, there's a balance. There's a balance. I'm not, I'm not jumping on anybody. Now, when you read over in the Gospel of Luke, um. Further, you, you discover this whole situation with Mary and the angel and um, the immaculate conception, which is an amazing story. An angel comes to Mary and basically says, we picked you out 
to do something so unbelievable, we have picked you out to be the mother of God. You found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb, bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, also has conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Let's say that. With God, nothing will be impossible impossible. He redefines impossibility. He says impossibility is possible if you're with God. With God, nothing. Actually, some of the Greeks says something like, no all rhema will be barren with God. In other words, the thing about the word of God is not just about only what you believe, and if you say it, it's that there is a latent resource in the Word of God. There's a power in the Word of God. There's something, when God gives you a promise, it's not like anybody else's promise. Within that promise is the power to fulfill it through um, faith and proclamation. You don't fulfill it just because you blab and believe. There's something in that word that's not in you. Dunamis is there's dynamite in that word. And and dynamite, dunamis, you should read dunamis, you should read power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, Mary winds up saying this Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary was willing to believe for the outrageous thing. Our constant response to God should be, let it be to me according to your word. What if everyone in this room has an amazing destiny if they'll just stick close to God? How embarrassing is it going to be to when we get to heaven to read the book of what might have been. See, there's some awesome verses of Scripture that are really challenging. One of them, I don't, I'd have to go find the actual reference, but it says, they did not regard his power and they limited the Holy One of Israel. How many of us have limited God? But see, he connects limiting God with not meditating on his power. And see, that all goes back once again to what's in your heart, what dominates your thoughts, and what it is you talk about. I can remember when I was selling restaurant equipment and all my kids were little, there was uh, another salesman, and he would say, your kids aren't going to do very well. 
And I said, why is that? He said, because you're a religious nut. Well, they've done pretty well. They really have. He said, you're, 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 too in, you're in too deep in this Jesus thing. I said, you wait and see how deep I get. In other words, I'm not backing off. Now, I can be bold like that and go out tomorrow and wish I'd never said that. Nevertheless, that's, that's my perspective on life. You people sit in this building because I said yes. That's right. That's right. You sit here because I said yes. Now, you could be sitting somewhere else. I'm not saying that wouldn't be a good place. But our choices and our decisions have influence on people around us and even people we, we don't even know. We haven't, we haven't met yet. I remember the first message, first, uh, message I preached. I've had a couple of very unsuccessful, memorable public preaching episodes. The first, <laughs> I went on this short-term minister trip to London, and I was, um, we went to Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park. And they have professional hecklers that come. And I thought, this is a place to really cut your teeth on preaching the gospel. <laughs> and so I was watching. I wanted to get the game. I wanted to get the, the rules down first. One guy got up, and after a while, oh, he said he was Jesus. He wasn't a believer. He said he was Jesus, and he was not Jesus. And they just wore him out. Boy, they just wore him out. And uh, meanwhile, a friend of mine was listening, and he was a real straight-laced. Now, this the friend of mine was going to wear a navy blue coat, tan pants, and red, white, and blue tie everywhere we went throughout Europe. Just give you a picture of this guy. And the whole time he was saying to that guy, Blasphemer! Blasphemer! <laughs> it was almost like a cartoon. And so they drug that guy down, and I thought, well, I'm going to get up there. So I got up there, and boy, they just, but that was my first message. It was on a trash can in Hyde Park, Speaker's Peace Corner. And uh, that wasn't the worst time I'd ever had. I was at Central Piedmont Community College, me and uh, a friend of mine, and we decided to go down there and preach on the street. So I summoned up my courage because well, you're preaching in England. You don't know anybody in England, but you're preaching CP, you know, so... I, I was, uh, we would preach at the stoplight. And <laughs> so I stood up on the wall there and there's a little bit of crowd gathered and, uh, I cut loose. And when I did the light changed, I walked across the street. And it's no fun preaching in public to yourself. Now, I haven't done a whole lot of more of that since, but Mary was willing to believe for the outrageous thing. We find in Luke 2 7, these are some of these verses are so great. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. How many of you know what I'm going to extract from that verse? You need to make room for Jesus. Can you imagine the honor of having the Son of God born in your hotel, in your inn? See, one of the things you find out about spiritual people is they're discerning because there are no neon signs lots of times on the will of God. You have to feel something or sense something or be after God in a certain way many times 
to follow this path. Other times you can be a fool. The Bible actually says this, though a fool, you'll not err therein. It talks about the highway of the Lord over in Isaiah. But other times, if you're not being sensitive, you can miss a vital, a vital turn in the road. So you need to make room for Jesus. No room for him in the end. And in verse 12 of Luke 2, this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And I translate it, you will find a babe wrapped in a cattle feeder, wrapped in rags. I thought about John Mark's song, We Thought You'd Come with a Crown of Gold, a String of Pearls, and a Cashmere Rope. See, that's the carnal concept of how God's going to do something. But God will come incognito. He will come easy to miss at different times. And the truth is, it's an honor to seek him out. It's an honor to seek him out. And, and seeking the Lord can, um, like the wise men, maybe we'll have a chance to look at these wise men. These wise men traveled hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles following a star. And I don't even know how you follow a star. They just are where they are. Could have been an angelic thing. I don't know. Nobody really understands that. But um, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Well, God gives signs and oftentimes they're humble, unexpected, perhaps even offensive. I've said this in the past. God isn't the way we thought he was. He's the way he is. And, and the amazing thing is God is humble and is the only person in the universe who shouldn't have to be. He's done everything. He can't brag. Do you understand what I mean? He can't brag. Anything he says, he did, he did. He's just stating facts. And then I mentioned this earlier, and I'll, I'll close with this. I'm not going to get into, into the wise men, but... Um, in Luke 2, now this, this is such, this is so good. This is the verse we read. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I will bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. When you look at, um, well, I am getting over into it, but I want to make a couple of comments. When the wise men showed up, they asked Herod, where is he who was born king of the Jews? Now, the idea there is Jesus was born king. You don't make him king. Nobody can make him king. He was born king. But your, your responsibility is to honor him as king. But it turns out the king's your savior. And see, when you look at um, some of the messianic prophecies, it talks about this king it says this king will shepherd his people Israel. 
And I know a lot of people like to talk about the militant God, you know, the God of armies. And we sang that this morning, and there's a legitimacy to it. But God didn't really come put you in an army as much as he wants you to join a family. That, that really is true. You, you can be a militant Christian and still be as messed up as humanly possible because you don't know what it is to be part of a family. You, you may not know God is your father. You may not know that the king is not just your Lord. He's your savior. He was born for you. He was also born to you, specifically to you. He's not just a historical figure. He's a personal figure. He's a person who came with you, really with you in mind. Born to you in the city of David. I, I think about this too. When the wise men came and they told Herod, they inquired of the priest where the Messiah was to be born because the wise men were very clear. They were saying the Messiah that you've been waiting for, the Messiah is born. We've come to worship him. And Herod said, well, where is he to be born? And they went into the Old Testament prophecies and they said Bethlehem. Bethlehem is six miles from Jerusalem. Herod didn't go. Not a single priest went. Now, you wonder why. And I don't know that there were three kings, we three kings of Orient art, yada, yada, yada. They had three gifts. There could have been 20. There could have been an entourage. Could have been an amazing. They brought treasures. How many of you would carry your treasures through the ancient world without protection? Because the Bible says they opened up of their treasures and gave gold, uh, frankincense, and myrrh. So we need to... We we need, that's terrible. Terrible to tell people what they need to do. Can't tell them how to do it. God's going to reveal himself to us in 2017 in brand new ways. He really is. He really is. Um, you know, we talk about trusting God, but you know, trust is something you learn. Trust is developed. Love you give, trust is earned. You know, God has earned Shelley's trust. You know what I'm saying? He's earned many of our trust, but there's something going to happen in 2017. There's going to be a fresh encounter, a fresh touch from God in this coming year. I have uh, some promises about what's going to happen in Charlotte that are almost as old as some of my children. And I don't, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss the great stuff. I don't want to make it through the bad stuff and miss the great stuff. But you got to go through stuff. You really do. You really do. And I think God doesn't bring all those things on us. I really do believe that with evil in the world, you don't need to wonder why God did things to you he didn't really do to you. It's just the nature of existence. And I do know, too, about healing, all those kind of things. Healing is more connected to corporate unbelief than individual unbelief.
meaning the entire body of Christ is functioning at such a low faith level when it comes to the miraculous, it affects the world. And see, it's not good enough to have the man of faith and power. There needs to be a company of people. There needs to be a group of people. There needs to be a congregation like this one where the tide rises. And we all take seriously how much of our faith we should develop for the benefit of the world. You know, the most crippling thing that happens to Christians is when they start living for themselves. And they're not happy and they blame God or they upset with somebody. But at the end of the day, really, who are you living for? Are you willing to be inconvenienced? I thought there was going to be a real positive message, but I feel like I'm just jumping on everybody. But uh, at the end of the day, we need to be challenged, don't you think? Sometimes we really do. Okie doke. I noticed no one clapped today. That's all right. <laughs> I didn't. Oh, come on. Not, it's, if I have to ask for it, it's too late. It doesn't count. Stephen, do we have teams today that would love to pray for the sick or minister prophetically to people? What we do is invite anyone over 21 of age, no, anyone to come over here, any age, and we'll be glad to, uh, we have ministry teams that we have trained to pray for you. Please come. We'll be glad to uh, do whatever we can for you. Why don't we stand together and let's pray. Lord, open our hearts to a brand new season in you. Lord, um, give us confidence not to dwell on things that hinder our faith, but to dwell on things that draw us closer and closer into you. Lord, release in our, in our church here an atmosphere of your power and your presence and your goodness. Lord, you're so good. Here it is. We celebrate your birth, and it's um, when we see it as it is, Lord, it's almost too good to be true. You were born of a virgin. You gave your life. We shared communion. Your blood poured out for our sins. Your body broken that we might be one with you and with one another. Lord, open our eyes to these truths. Break off all those religious shackles and concepts that uh, bind us instead of liberate us. I just ask, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, we have a candlelight service next Friday right here. I'm sorry, next Saturday right here. Love to see you. God bless you. Have a great week.